When you step back and you start to understand the reality of what God has done, the gratitude that flows from the heart that recognizes that Jesus sought you out and saved you. Are you saved in Jesus Christ here tonight? Listen, Jesus entered your life first. Jesus sought you out first. Jesus Christ made the first move before you even existed. Well, good day and welcome to Live in the Light. I'm your host, Craig Turnbull, and with me in our studio is our teacher, Pastor Robbie Simons. We're very thankful that you've decided to join us today. In fact, as you'll find out quickly, thankful is a key term in today's message and teaching. Hey, you've joined us in the middle of a series entitled One Thing, and what I love about our series we're going through right now is we're removing complexity from our lives and replacing it with simplicity. The simple truths of what God's word has for us. And Robbie, today's message, as we walk into Luke, it's it's really no difference. An- another message chock full with simplicity. Simplicity and the area of gratitude. You said it just a few minutes ago on just thankfulness, the importance within the Christian life, the power within the attitude of gratitude. I mean, Craig, you and I both know just how much God speaks in his word about the importance of his children being filled with gratitude. When we consider the reality of the gospel, we're going to see it demonstrated here today in the healing of a leper. And one guy came back. I mean, for us as believers who understand the depths and the profound nature of our sin being taken for Christ on the cross and what that means, gratitude, loved ones, gratitude, our dear listeners, should be seen through our lives every day on a moment-by-moment basis because if we think long enough and if we consider long enough on what we've been granted in Jesus Christ, we never run out of things to be thankful for. So may that happen upon our lives today. In Jesus' name. All right. Amen. And uh, just a reminder before we get into our text for you listeners, if you'd like to get a copy, a free copy of today's message, they're available online for you for download. Our website again is live in the light. That's L-I-G-H-T dot C-A. Or you can phone us up at 1-844-22-LIGHT. That's 1-844-225-4448. All right, one thing in my attitude of thankfulness. We're going to a familiar passage of 10 lepers in Luke 17. So let's get our Bibles, if you can, and go there. And here again is our teacher, Pastor Robbie. One thing in my attitude. Uh, as I like to do, I like to kind of get things right out, uh, out in the open right away. So here it is. Here's the bottom line for us this evening. Uh, the child of God who seeks to live the one thing. The child of God, the person saved in Jesus Christ, the one who belongs to him, who seeks to live the one thing, will quickly um, and joyfully discover the attitude of gratitude throughout their life. The child of God who seeks to live the one thing. We, we keep saying that the one thing affects everything, but one of the things that the one thing affects, including everything, is your attitude. And those who pursue God with a passion will quickly and joyfully discover the attitude of gratitude throughout their life. Why though? Why is that true? Here's why. Because when you live the one thing, you see Jesus. 
And when you see Jesus, you see this. You see his life. You see his death. You see his resurrection. You then see his salvation. You see his glory. And when you see the glory of Jesus Christ, then what you see is you see the hope of your very own glory in Christ. And when you behold the glory of Jesus Christ, what you smile. You smile within and you smile without because you are looking at the reality that awaits you. Loved ones, please don't ever forget this earth is not your reality. Right here, right now, this is not your reality. It's the goal. It's the prize. It's the upward call. It's the city of God. That is your reality. And so our salvation then, and the promises of our salvation, this becomes the source of gratitude for our thanksgiving. You see, as genuine Christians, as people who are truly saved again, and who truly belong to the Lord, this is your truth. You have no excuse for being ungrateful. I'm sorry, but you don't, and neither do I. If you are in Christ, based on the reality of where we are in our position before Christ and the promises of what is to come, we have no excuse then for being ungrateful. Some of you might hear that and argue right now. Yeah, yeah, but my life is so hard. Temporarily, your life is so hard. 2 Corinthians 4, for these temporary afflictions, these momentary afflictions, it says are preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Paul says in Romans, he says these momentary or temporary trials are not worth comparing to the glory that awaits us in Christ. Awesome. You see, when you start to understand this, then you will agree with what Kent Hughes said. Kent Hughes said this, a thankless Christian is a contradiction in terms. And he's right. A thankless Christian is a contradiction in terms. What does that mean for us who are in Christ? It means this, today is a good day. Today, today, listen, listen, today is another good day. Now, I had a day today where there were some good points of my day and some not so good points of my day. I had a week this week where there were some good points of my week and some not good points of this week. But regardless of how I feel about my day today does not change the truth that today is an awesome day in the reality of Jesus Christ and where I stand. You're picking up what I'm putting down? This is so important to live the life of Christ. You can't go on feelings, you must go on truth. And truth says, if you're saved in Christ, you're having another good day because the reality of what he has done for you and I. And that is when the person says, my attitude then, despite what happens in my life, will continue to be fostering a growing pattern of gratitude, not based on circumstances, but based on Jesus Christ and the word of God. That is so awesome. I want this so much more for my life. So we're going to get into the word of saying, I want one thing growing in my attitude. We have to pray. Yeah, we have to pray um, as we do. So let's do that. Father, I pray. I pray, Lord, simply today that you will make us a grateful people, not a complaining people, Lord, not like the Israelites in the wilderness, whining, complaining. We do that too so often. And when we complain, we don't get it, Lord. We are self-centered. We don't get it. I pray you will make us a grateful people. I pray you will make us a humble, loved-filled people. First love of Christ. And I pray, Lord, finally, at this time right now, you will cause us to be a transformed people. A grateful people, a humble people, and a transformed people. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
Amen. Please open your Bibles then to uh, Luke chapter 17. One thing in my attitude, the gospel of Luke chapter 17, and we'll be looking at verses 11 to 19. Let's start with verse 11. It says this, on the way to, you guys there? Sweet. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Let's stop right there. Okay, let's, let's get our bearings of where we are and what's happening. Now, I know from history, uh, being in this church, that we love maps. Amen? We love maps. So we're going to put a map up on the screen here to show you kind of where, and where we are and what we're talking about. So you'll see at the top there, there's the region uh, of Galilee. And then below is the region of Samaria, and then, Jude, and then Judea, and then Edomia uh, there, and Perea is on the right, and the capitals. But we're focusing on Galilee, it's in the gray, and Samaria is just below it. So Jesus here, right now as he walks, is somewhere between Galilee and Samaria, probably on the borderline, and he's moving right now from east uh, to west. And he's, so he's going in kind of an odd pattern of where he will eventually end up, of course, in Jerusalem. And commentators kind of speculate, why is he moving in this direction? But everything that Jesus does with such such intention. I mean, he did not waste a moment. And so here he is again, uh, moving along the border of Samaria and Galilee. And what we find out here is he enters a village. And not by coincidence, everything is thought through. He is the son of God on earth. And what we find now in the gospel of Luke is an event which is unique to Luke's gospel. Let's read it. Verse 12. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. I think only the disciples called Jesus master. So that's, that's significant. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him, what does the word say? Thanks, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, we're not 10 cleansed? Three questions he asked. We're not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to the amazing word ends, he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Uh, we're gonna break this, uh, this story, this event into four sections. And then what we're going to do at the end of the fourth section is we're going to have a fifth section, which we're going to apply, apply it to our lives and make it personal. But the first four sections we'll be going through and figure out what we're working with, and we'll save most of our application to the end of the message, a little bit differently today. So let's go through section number one, then we'll call it this uh, in your sermon outline there. Um, we'll call section number one, the subjects. First, we see the subjects. And that takes us again to verse 12. As he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. 10 lepers. Uh, victims of leprosy were ostracized in the places, the towns, and the villages that they lived in. According to the Jewish law found in Leviticus chapter 13, uh, if you were a leper, uh, you had to wear torn clothes you had to let your hair hang loose. Um, you had to cover your upper lip and shout wherever you went, unclean, 
unclean, making everyone aware of the fact that they don't want to be near you. If you were a leper, you were commanded to live alone and you were commanded to dwell outside of the camp. Often in scripture, we see leprosy being seen as a result of sin. And so you bring all of these social factors together for someone who is suffering with leprosy. You have uh, incredible shame, awful shame. You have uh, a tremendous self-loathing, understandably, and you also have a tremendous loneliness that would exist from those suffering with leprosy. Truly outcast, um, despised in a sense, and people fear to go near them. So there were 10 of these lepers, and naturally, because they were not allowed to dwell with anyone else then, naturally they would stick together, which is amazing because we're going to find out through this event, even they see even beyond ethnic hatred, they still go beyond their ethnic hatred with everyone else would think, and they join together, which tells you the reality and the horror of this disease or this sickness. So in verse 12, then it says that the 10 lepers, they stood at a distance. Why? Because they were compelled by law again to do so. They could not go up to Jesus, right up to him. But it seems like in this text here, they are even their behavior, they, they are approaching on some level. It seems like they are being daring in, in their behavior, but they still stand at a distance. And then notice in verse 13, we see that they lift up their voices and they cry out for mercy from Jesus. Now notice here, they don't specifically ask to be healed by Jesus, but certainly the mercy that they desire is the healing that Jesus can provide. So we step back here just for a second. Jesus enters the village, 10 lepers greet him, have mercy upon us, Jesus, master, they say. Loved ones, here's another example of what appears to be people finding Jesus, but in reality, Jesus found them. Don't miss that, man. This is when, when you look to realize what God has done in your life. It was Jesus who came with intention in this odd route with border of uh, Samaria and Galilee. It is Jesus who enters this village. It is Jesus here who we know after read the text is seeking to meet specifically with one leper. It was Jesus that would change his life. See, when, when you step back and you start to understand the reality of what God has done, the gratitude that flows from the heart that recognizes that Jesus sought you out and saved you. Are you saved in Jesus Christ here tonight? Listen, Jesus entered your life first. Jesus sought you out first. Jesus Christ made the first move before you even existed. And Jesus Christ came into your life and you may have cried out for mercy, but because he was there and when you cry out for mercy, he saves you because he gives you the gift of faith. It's so awesome. It's so amazing. And this is what Jesus does. We love God because he first loved us. Amen. And here is Jesus Christ coming in to love the lepers. Section number one is the subject. Section number two is this, the miracle. Now we see the miracle. So verse 14, Jesus hears their cry for mercy. Verse 14, it says, when he saw them, he said to them. So in some sense, verse 14 is like he didn't see them right away, but maybe he heard and he turns to them. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. So notice here, unlike other gospel accounts of Jesus with lepers, Jesus did not approach them. Jesus did not touch, touch them. And Jesus did not even say, be healed. Rather, he simply said, go. 
He said, go and show yourselves to the priest, which is quite interesting and quite fantastic because the only time as a leper you're now supposed to go and show yourself to the priest is once you've been healed according to the law. So Jesus then says, go and show yourself to the priest, but they have not yet been healed. The text says, and as they went, they were cleansed. What's happening here, loved ones? Here's what I think is happening here. Jesus always requires faith. And Jesus always responds to faith too. There's so much here that Jesus does not say. He just says, love Jesus, love Jesus, love Jesus. He says, go. He says, go and show yourselves to the priest. So then as we figure out what the 10 do in response to Jesus' command, all 10 in some form, all 10 lepers in some form show some kind of faith. So let's just picture the conversation the 10 lepers are having then as they say, Jesus, have mercy on us. And then Jesus says, go and show yourselves to the priest. What do you do if you're one of the 10 lepers? You're like, what? Look at us. Why would we take this? We're not sure if it's a long journey or short journey, but why would we take this journey to go to the, the temple or to go to the place where the priests are? You have to imagine there's some reluctancy on some of the members to be like, well, I don't want to do that. What's the point? But regardless of what happened, we're not sure exactly how it all took place. All 10 of them, in the end, decide that they're going to respond to this in some kind of faith. And let's remember, if you see what Jesus is asking to do, remember, God chooses to work through faith. Miracles happen through faith. What's the greatest miracle that's ever occurred in your life or ever will be? Uh, it's called salvation. Salvation only happens through faith. It's faith in the grace of God. Loved ones, living the one thing requires faith. You will not see blessing apart from exercising faith contrary to what the world and the flesh and maybe people around you say you should do. It is the faith to believe that God is right and we are not. It is the faith to take God at his word. It is the faith when you don't see it, but you're going to say, I'm going to go regardless because Jesus Christ says to. So place yourselves in the shoes or the bodies of the lepers and whether reluctantly or not, they turn and they go, listen, and they are healed. I love what Kent Hughes describes. He says this, he describes the setting. He says, it was mass healing. There were no mirrors to reflect the dramatic change, but they saw it in each other instantly. Just imagine them looking at one another. He says, from cadaverous faces reemerged ears, noses, eyebrows, lashes, hairlines, feet that were toeless and ulcerated stubs were suddenly whole, bursting, shrunken sandals, knobby appendages grew fingers, barnacled skin became soft and supple. It was like 10 new births. And the dust of wild celebration quickly began in the bright sunlight. What a, mo what a moment. I mean, think of the high fives, right? I mean, think, think of the hugs. Think of the joy. Think of the ecstasy. You just place yourself in that position and Jesus says go and you go. And on the way sometime, you then are totally transformed and soft and supple indeed. Um, daughter Sadie's one and I was rubbing her bottom the other day, soft as a baby's bottom. It's pretty soft, huh? And these lepers, their skin so pure and so perfect, really. All 10 of them, listen, a new lease on life. 
But the next four words reveal the essence of this event. Verse 15 says, then one of them. Then one of them. Section number three is this, the response. We've seen the subjects, we've seen the miracle, now we see the response. Look at verse 15 then. Verse 15 says, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice and fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And the Bible adds, now he was a Samaritan. So 10 were sent, but only one returns. Now, by Jesus sending them away, I believe he was giving on some level a test of their true heart. Because he knows once they're healed, what would they then do? Once they're healed, they are moving now away from Jesus as they are healed. Would they return? Would thanks and praise be given to the one or to the place where thanks and praise were due? See, the reaction of the one leper says so much. It says when he saw that he was healed, when he saw that he was healed, he recognized right there this was the greatest turning point of his entire life, but soon there would be even a greater turning point. But because he recognized in the moment what was really happening spiritually, he saw the miracle happening to his body. But most importantly, loved ones, pay attention, he saw saw the grace of God upon his life. He saw the physical miracle, but more importantly, it was revealing to him the spiritual miracle of the person who had just healed him. And the text says then, he turned back. He turns back. And right here is the starting point for gratitude. Right here in this one leper is the decision for thankfulness. He turns and then begins to pursue whom he knows is God. It is awesome. And that is what you and I have to do all the time. We don't know exactly what the other nine lepers did, do we? But we do know what they didn't do. They didn't turn to Jesus. What does this reveal? It reveals they wanted the healing. It reveals they wanted the blessing. But apparently they also wanted the glory. But not the one. The one it says, he lifted up his voice. In the Greek, that's where we get our English word for megaphone. This guy was fired up, understandably, and as he should. He lifts up his megaphone of a voice and he praises the Lord on high. Just picture it, just picture him. Picture him approaching Jesus and, and, and magnifying the Lord and lifting up his voice. Praise the Lord! Hallelujah! I mean, you could not yell loud enough at that moment to exclaim and to declare that which is going on in his heart. He comes up to Jesus, he falls on his face, it says, at the feet of Jesus, and then he does this. He gives thanks. He gives thanks to Jesus the Christ. Loved ones, whenever the Spirit of God is at work within a heart, gratitude always follows. 
Ephesians 5, be filled with the Spirit. And one of the signs you know that you are filled with God's Spirit and you are moving according to God's will is that you are thankful at all times and for all things. Gratitude is a sign of the Spirit of God at work and the Spirit of God is at work within this one leper. And the text then says in verse 16, it adds this, now he was a Samaritan. Now, if you're a Jew, if you're a Jew and you're listening to this and you're hearing this read for the first time and you're hearing this event being told and you hear now he was a Samaritan, that would make you go, and just like, what? A Samaritan, why? Because Jews and Samaritans, well, they hated each other. Which again, speaks again to the devastation of leprosy that Jews and Samaritans would really live with one another, that they would hang out with each other. But here we find a Samaritan giving thanks and praising and worshiping a Jew. Why, how? Only because of the grace of God, only by the grace of God. And what we see now is we see the reaction of Jesus to the response of the Samaritan, verse 17. Then Jesus answered, we're not 10 cleansed? Again, three questions he asked. We're not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner of all people he's saying? And he said to them, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Jesus here is expressing disappointment in the nine. What does this tell us? It tells us that Jesus was expecting gratitude. Jesus knows where the glory belongs. Get this insight too. Notice Jesus here, he's not concerned with his own glory. He's totally concerned with the Father's glory. He doesn't say, hey, aren't you coming back? Where are the others to come back and give me praise? As much as he's do that, his concern, his humility of our Savior, he's just awesome. He's concerned here with the glory of his Father. And now we see this now. We saw the subjects, we saw the miracle, we saw the response. Section number four, now we see this, we see the result. Now we see the result, and that's in verse 19. And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The reason this statement is so important is because although 10 had experienced the blessing of physical healing, only one here proves to have real faith, and real faith always results in spiritual healing or salvation. So in other words, as great as the miracle was of the healing of leprosy, verse 19 carries the greatest miracle of all. And what is critical here is that the Samaritan learns the full lesson of his healing from leprosy. Why was he healed? Ultimately, he was healed to reveal to him the glory of God. Ultimately, Jesus Christ healed him to reveal to him that Jesus is the true Savior, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And don't miss this in this text. At the end in verse 19, once again, you see true faith and true salvation merging together. True faith and true salvation merging together. So we've covered the passage and we've seen what has happened and as great as that is, and I'm sure there's lots to take away already, what I wanna do right now is I wanna make this personal now. And we're gonna call section five then this. We're gonna call it my attitude of gratitude. God's word explained to us, and now we take away this, my attitude of gratitude. And I want to end today with 10 takeaway principles from this passage. And the reason we do this is I desire that this would be cemented into our hearts 
and that this truth and what about this truth is most important. So here we go. Uh, my attitude of gratitude, principle number one is this. Uh, God has done great things for us. Principle number one of gratitude is God has done great things for us. I believe the bottom line of Luke 17 in this, in this passage is that we must be grateful for what God has done. See, living the one thing in my attitude, what it, where does that really come from? It comes from a sense, a sense of understanding who we are not and who God is. Our gratitude is on the foundation of understanding what we have done as in our sin and what Christ has done as in the cross. When you stand on the foundation and the reality of the gospel, then you, like David, shout out, Oh God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Always remember your salvation. It's not restoring the joy of my salvation. It's not your salvation. It's the salvation of God given to you as a gift. You will then be a person as you stand, as you kneel, as you fall on your face of the cross and you are aware, then you become a person that says, oh God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And where there's joy, well, there's gratitude. Principle number one is that God has done great things for us. See, Thanksgiving this weekend is more than turkey, man. It's more than understanding we've been blessed uh, physically and tangibly. It, under, Thanksgiving and gratitude is rooted in the cross of Jesus Christ. To take a new angle on this, I'm gonna put up a slide here. Um, this fantastic theological description of the humiliation and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. We sat down as elders this week and we went through it. It was such a profitable exercise. I believe God had led me to lead you through this as well. Live in the Light exists to see radical transformation in God's people through the revelation of God's truth. If you'd like to hear this message again or any messages in this series, visit us online at liveinthelight.ca. Thanks for listening today. Join us next time on Live in the Light.